0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted O'Dorico and joining me is LPGA professional Cindy Miller. And we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the BlogTalkRadio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teaching professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee, and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and thank you again for joining us live this morning here on the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy.
2: Good morning, Ted. How are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic and very happy to be back here once again on air with you uh, each and every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. So I'm very, very happy, always uh, excited to to do these shows. Um, Don't forget, we want to hear from you uh, this season. So if you want, uh, don't be shy and don't be afraid uh, to call in during the live broadcast on Tuesday mornings. The number to call is area code 347-945-5855. And for some reason, if you uh, don't want to call in live, but you want to reach out to either Cindy or I, you can do so by calling or sorry, by emailing us uh, at Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. And mine is Ted.GolfTalkLive at Gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. So uh, by all means, feel free to reach out. But we would really love to hear you uh, call in live uh, during the broadcast. So again, that number is 347-945-5855. We got a great show this morning, Cindy. We're going to start things off here in just a second or two. Uh, on with a great discussion on the four steps to mental mastery, uh, four things to master golf and your mental game, and this is by actually golf psych, uh, dot com. uh So if you go and visit their site after the show, they've got a lot of great information. We're going to just touch uh, just a few broad strokes, if you will, on some of the things that they they talk about uh, here in just a minute, and then a little bit later on, uh, Tara McKenna, the uh, Director of PJ Golf Management at Florida Gulf Coast University. is going to be joining us uh, on the second half of the show, so make sure you stick around for that as well. Um, Okay, so Cindy, there are, I'm sure, many, many things, but uh, Golf Psych actually kind of whittled down, if you will, uh, four key areas to to really developing uh, a strong mental mastery, if you will, that that any golfer, whether you're a professional or even an amateur, uh, can certainly really uh, adhere to. And we're going to talk about some of those this morning here. And, and the first one is, I think, really to understand your current state uh, of your mind. And uh, what I mean by that is obviously... Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of laughed on that one too, the first thing. Um, but basically what it's talking about is, is um, you know, what's currently sort of occupying your mind. You know, if you're getting ready to, as an example, if you're getting ready to head out to the golf course this morning... You know, are you thinking about that sales presentation this afternoon? Uh, You know, are you thinking about, uh, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up here in a couple of days? So what's really your current state of mind? Is it clogged with a lot of clutter? Uh, Or are you focusing on the round that you're about to play? And I think that's important, Cindy, and you as a a professional golfer who's played on both the LPGA and now the the Legends Tour, um, obviously that's something important to you when you're getting ready to head to a tournament, the last thing you want to be thinking about is 20 or 30 other things um, that are going to clutter up and and, and detract from really the business at hand. What do you do when, when you head out to the golf course, do you do something specific to try to sort of clear that, that mindset, if you will, um, before you head to the golf course or what do you do?
0: It's all about
2: your attention being on your intention. And I Mm -hmm. think it's about, You know, like, what can I control right here, right now at this moment? And I mentally practice probably two or three times a day in my head. Mm -hmm. I just kind of shift states and go in la-la land in my head and say, okay, what are we thinking? What were we working on the last time you hit balls? Because, again, most people, golf is not their vocation. So right. you have to be able to shift states and change your mindset. And I think that this might help our listeners to say, okay, if I really pay attention to what I'm doing, when I'm practicing, and I know what my triggers are or my thoughts or my process, then I need to – I text things to myself so I don't forget them. Mm-hmm. And, right. and And I think knowing, you know – as far as what your triggers can be, are you audio, visual, or kinesthetic? Do you want to see it, feel it, or hear it, so that you can uh, what I call dumb it down? And then once you know what that is, it's almost like oh well, there's a little file over here, and and if I take this file out, then I can go play golf, and I know what to do because everything I need is in the file. Does that make sense? Right. So yeah, no, I that makes perfect. That, yeah, and then I can say, okay, you're not worried about answering the emails or writing a speech or what you have to do for this conference call coming up or a sales presentation or whatever it might be. You say, oh, I got to open this file right now. This is all the only thing I'm working on. So if you put focus your attention on your intention, I think that's an easier way to do it. And one more thing, I think I've heard an awful lot of people say that golf. You know, my students, amateur students, say that golf is relaxing. I'm like, what? You know, (laughs) I don't think golf is relaxing. I'm like, I've never heard it said that way. But I believe, I've asked them, you know, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, I can't think of anything else. So I'm focused on being on the golf course and hitting shots. I said, well, that's great. You know, to me, that's not relaxing. That's focusing on something different. How about you? What do you
1: think? Yeah, I, I would agree with everything that you said, um, and I think to sort of you know, answer what your your students are talking about, I, I think that's great, and, and I think that's exactly the approach you need to take. I think a lot of the biggest mistake that – and I'm sure you've seen this playing in a lot of pro-ams you – know, the biggest mistake that especially our, our amateur golfers make is they've got too many thoughts outside of the golf course cluttering up their minds – and you're exactly right. You know, you have to go there with an intention. Your 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 intention obviously is to play golf, and uh, if you can use some little mental cues that help you focus on that, whether you text them to yourself, whether you watch a video that you know sort of encapsulates some of the things that that um, you need in order to play your best round, by all means, that's what you need to do. Um, but as I said, if if you're you know if you're going out in the morning and you've got an important Uh, meeting or something that's coming up it's probably not the best idea Um, you know obviously if you're playing in a a special event that's one thing but you know if you're just going out to to play a quick nine or something um, you're probably not going to enjoy it very much if you've got 20,000 other things that are cluttering up your mind that are outside the golf course Uh, a lot of people don't know how to shut that part of their brain down and focus on the task at hand so Um, that's really what we're talking about here is, is having an understanding of your current state of mind is where where is it you know, where is it thinking? Is it thinking about what's going on right now, the shot that's at hand, or are you thinking about something, you know, next week uh, or later that day or something that happened last week? Are you still mulling over, uh, you know, a project or something that uh, you've got to get done and, and you're falling behind? So there's a lot of things that can clutter up our minds, and I think what you said uh, was spot on. So that, that's a great, uh, some great advice uh, for our listeners out there. Um, the next one is really and. And I want to kind of phrase this a little bit differently. And this is essentially how they they put it, but I want to you know tweak it a little bit. And that is learning the mental profile of high performing golfers, um, and and I would say really athletes in general. Um, and, and I think what they're really talking about, they're not saying that you need to mimic or that you need to copy what somebody else does, but that there are certain tips that you can take away. So. As an example, we've seen a lot of great golfers over the years uh, on the men's side, of course, Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, uh, Annika Sorenstam on, on the women's side uh, and, and others out there that are very, very focused and exactly what you were just talking about a few moments ago. So what are some things do you think, Cindy, from your experience, do you think that we can take away from watching some of the uh, the high performing golfers on how they handle themselves mentally out on the golf course? What are some things that you think we could learn from that?
2: Well, I happen to be golf site certified. So, I've got some inside scoop here of of okay. what's in the mental golf profile. So, just to back it up for a second, uh, Deborah Graham and John Stabler. Deborah Graham got her PhD doing research on the LPGA tour and the PGA tour for what makes great golfers great. So, what they wanted to do was figure out if they they had three different groups, focus groups. One, everybody's on the tour. One group of people, I've, I'm on the tour and I've never won. I'm on the tour and I've won once or twice. And I'm on the tour and I've, I'm a multiple tour winner. And the right. question was, of these, the Cattell 16 PF, were any of these traits, there's 16 traits, did the multiple tour winners have anything above and beyond the other? answer so was yes. And there were eight traits they measured that multiple tour winners have above, above and beyond everyone else. And those things are focused and mental pre-shot routine, calculations and commitment, emotional management, course management and a game plan, tough-mindedness, confidence, independent decision-making, and pension management. So, if you're out watching a PGA or LPGA tour event, are you aware when someone is shifting states from, I'm doing, uh, planning a shot, and I'm trying to figure out my game plan, and then they shift states from think box to play box. So, I think the more you watch what tour players do and become aware of their habits and their systems, if you will, the more you mm-hmm. can learn, you know, they don't just automatically go up and hit it. I mean, I've had students say to me, I wish I didn't have to think. I'm like, well, don't think they're not thinking they're thinking they just do it quicker. Than <laughs> <you>. Right. <laughs> so Right. what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, again, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and, I, I knew that you had, uh, were golf psych certified. So I knew that you would have some, some, uh, a little better insight uh, on this particular topic, uh, obviously than I would. Um, but here's something too, that I, I think that a lot of people don't appreciate. Um, you know, they look at the golfers out, out on tour again, whether it's the, the LPJ or PGA. And, you know, they see, they focus on, well, wow, they can hit the ball you know far and they can hit it straight and, they can shape their shots and they, and that's what a lot of amateurs focus on. Um, but what they don't really appreciate is the good golfers, especially the ones that have won multiple times are very good at time management. Um, they take the same amount of time in their pre-shot routine for every shot. Now, obviously there are some occasions where there could be delays that are happening on the course that could prevent them. But once they uh, again, get into that think box, as you suggest If you were to take a cadence, uh, if you will, of their pre-shot and count up the time, it would be, I mean, within a millisecond of one another uh, from shot to shot. And then, of course, as you said, they they shift over to the the hitting box, if you will, uh, or playing box um, when they actually execute the shot. So that's something that people need to understand. And that's why, you know, we've emphasized you and I, Cindy, a number of times over the years on the show about the importance of having a pre-shot routine. Uh, and having something that's consistent and it doesn't have to be exactly as you see it on TV or, or another player that um, that you may be watching, but you need to develop your own pre shot routine um, because that will help with your time management on course um, and, and help you, uh, you know, better prepare for the shot, even if the shot doesn't come off the way that you hope it does by executing that that think box, if you will, and doing it in a consistent manner. Will greatly improve um, it's not all about ball striking that certainly is important and you need to focus on that when you're on the practice tee. But when you get out in the golf course, you need to manage your time effectively and that's what really good players do is they affect they, they um, have very good time management skills. Would you agree with that do you think?
2: Absolutely and again, they work on it you know right I don't know that normal people it appears to be so easy when we watch right. players on TV, but their whole responsibility, their only inventory is themselves. The only thing they're doing is working on themselves. So, you know, their nutrition, their fitness, their golf swing, their head, everything is all about them. And, and it's funny because I was watching the tournament this past weekend and Scott Stallings was playing real well. And, and our son, Jamie, mm-hmm had played with him in a lot of mini-tour events. And, and he said, you know, he's married with a couple kids, and, and Jamie tried to play for two or three or four years, two, I, I think three years. And he just, every time he would go to Q school, he'd miss by one or two. And he finally said, you know, right. I think I want to use my finance degree. I don't want to do this my whole life. And so that mm-hmm. thought came to me when I saw Scott Stallings, and I thought, this guy has been working on himself you know Jamie's been a financial planner for 8 years now so this guy's been working on himself for 15 20 years right and and right. now it's really paying off but how many people are patient enough you know to believe in themselves long enough to allow the delay not mean denial and and they really work on this and and that's what you yeah. have to do to become the best in the world
1: you know, there's there, you're exactly right. There's a difference in mindset, I think, with with the generations coming up now. And, and I don't want to belabor this point because I know it's, you know, it, times have changed in that. But I think really the difference is we've developed into a society of, of instant gratification. And, you know, we want everything now. Um, you know, we want it when we want it. Uh, and, of course, we want it right now. So, you know, when you look at players – who you know maybe started out on tour 15 20 years ago they have a whole different approach than what you might see um more current players and especially on an amateur level um you know people just don't want to spend as much time um on the areas that they really need to you know they'll go out there and they'll hit a bunch of balls but there's other areas of the game like we're talking about here that that you can do and you don't have to go to the driving range these are things that you can do and we're going to talk in that really leads into our next uh, point here and that is to develop a structure for improving your mentality over time and there are a lot of things that you can do you know Cindy to uh, in in other words um, you know you can throw pre-shot routine in there that's developing uh, a a structure or or something that's going to help you uh, be more focused and by doing that being repetitive uh, over time as you just mentioned with with the other gentleman um, you know he's now you know, coming into his own, he's been working on that for, for many, many years, and now he has a better understanding himself. And, and something else, too, that I think kind of falls into this category, and we've seen this, and I, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is, you know, a lot of people have a difficult time going from the practice tee out on the golf course. And part of the problem is they don't create real type of situations on the practice tee. They just hit balls and then they get out there and they're faced with, you know, a a whole different set of pressures. Um, You know, they're very comfortable back on the range, but on the golf course. So what I suggest, um, you you know, especially if you're playing with your, your, your weekend foursome and maybe you guys like to put a little money on the game, do some things like that on the range as well. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be big dollars, but maybe just create something that puts a little extra stress or pressure uh, on on your shots on the practice tee, so that when you get on the golf course and you're faced with something like that, you've already prepared mentally um, for that. Uh, what are your thoughts about that?
2: I totally agree. Again, I also to go back to the tour player. I, mm-hmm. I think people there's two things. Number one kids start much earlier. So, yep. you know, kids are playing in tournaments when they're seven, 8, nine, ten, 10 playing college and golf is their life. So when they come out on tour now, they're more prepared than they were 15 or 20 years ago. There's much better junior programs. Um, and, and to a fault, sometimes parents are like, Oh, well, this is going to be the next Michelle. We or Tiger Woods. And, But they have put in the time. It's that 10,000-hour rule. You know, everybody – and that's what I think I love about golf is you don't get to show up and be amazing. You have to work at this. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how talented you are. I mean, you might find some parts of it easier than others, but everybody has to put in the time. Um, The second part of it is that you have to have enough money to be able to stay out there when the going gets rough. And and right. so if you do and you know, I mean, like, look at Webb Simpson, I'm good. I'm not good. I'm good. I'm not good. I'm good. There's ups and downs everywhere. But, yep. and I think that our students and our listeners need to be aware that no one hits it good all the time. And that mm. you have to know that there will be delays and detours and distractions. And that if you can focus on a goal, you know, or uh, a structure, like you said, for improving your mental, mental pre-shot routine over time, just become more aware. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And, and it's funny because we are doing boot camp and next week, and I've got eight kids coming down from Buffalo. They've got the week off from school. We do it every year. And one of the young men was there last night, and I said, let's go over your mental golf profile from Golf Psych. And your personality, behavior style, which, you know, I created a disc golf profile. This kid stays after school until 730 at night, three times a week. And I said, why? Well, I want to make sure I get all my homework done. Why? Because I want to get good grades. I said, why? Well, because I want to go to a really good college. I go, are you kidding me? So they didn't come in for their lesson until 8 o'clock last night because this kid was staying after school. I looked at his father, and he goes, he's got like a 97 average, and he goes to a really good private school. Now, that child is so motivated by learning new things, and he's right. so conscientious. So I said to him, I said, look, sweetie, when we get to boot camp, I need to show you that your instincts are going to be to take a little bit too long to make a decision on the golf course, your tendency is going to be to play slow and yep. to think too much because you want to be perfect. And his father's like, Oh my God, I see him do that all the time in tournaments. I go, that's the way he is. Now we can, that's a good thing. That's better than not caring and just grabbing a club and swing. Mm-hmm. But I said, we're going to have to find a, a balance here where we have your own process as to, okay, What's the yardage? What's my lie? What's the wind? Where's the trouble? What's my smartest play? What's the playable yardage? What's the club? Aim it and hit it. You know, otherwise he's going to be two minutes over every shot.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And you know, that a lot of, um, well, I won't say a lot, but there are a number of of individuals out there that fall into that sort of analytical pool um, where they overanalyze everything. And that, creates, uh, what do they say, paralysis by analysis. Um, A lot of times you'll see even good tour players that are very, very analytical and you can see them out on the golf course. And ultimately those are the players that haven't gotten that under control that typically tend to have problems later on because it it just, now certainly they they can have success out on on tour, not to say that they won't. um, But a lot of times what happens is at some point in their career, um, they will start to, because of their analytical process, if you will, um, start to develop other issues later on, and they're not able to deal with those. Um, again, they're analyzing everything to death, so sort to of speak. And and it, and it's a good thing, as you suggest, in some ways, but it can also be detrimental to, to good play on the golf course. And, uh, you know, if you're playing with a, a bunch of your buddies, they're not going to want to stand there while you're analyzing something for three or four minutes before you take a shot. So... You know you got to keep that in mind as well. and And finally, Cindy, and I, you've kind of touched a little bit about this um, on the last one, and that is the ability to actively track your mentality and improvement over time, um, which you mentioned a few minutes ago about um, your son's friend. You know, you need to be able to um, track and 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 sort of monitor that process over time and then look at for certain areas um that you see success from and those areas that are uh, again sort of detrimental to a good play and and then you sort of mold them together uh and and delete if you will hit the delete button on the things that are not working for you and you know uh add them into uh, the ones that are working for you into that sort of pre-shot routine so touch on that a little bit as well about tracking um your process if you will over time
2: I don't know. I don't totally understand.
1: Well, basically what, what the, the, the point is, is making is being able to, to track your mentality and your improvement. So in other words, keeping a record keeping, if you will, Um, a lot of players go out there and they just, you know, week in week out, they hit balls. Um, Sometimes taking as an example, taking stats, recording the stats uh, on a practice round, um, that sort of information so that you can go back and analyze after your round, things that uh, areas that you need to improve on uh, things that um, maybe you're really, really good at and, and sort of pulling them together and using that data and information, if you will, uh, to be able to chart your, your improvement over time. That's essentially what it's asking.
2: Yes. And I believe, again, I think sometimes we can overreact.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I'll give you an example. I was fortunate enough to get into the French lick uh, senior LPGA championship in October and as we've discussed multiple times on this show that golf course at French Lick is just so difficult and so hard and again you can work yourself <laughs> up and, and talk yourself into losing and and playing like terrible so and and then to top it off it's 49 degrees the wind's blowing and it's raining okay right this is going to be fun right so the funny thing is for me, and, the, you know, again, this is just me with Alan, who my husband's played on the tour for 15 years, So, and he's he's the Jason Duffner thinking type person, right? Um, mm. He said the first round I played really well, I grinded my guts out and shot, I think, 79 or 78, something like that. And And that was like in the middle of the pack. I mean, this golf course, somebody shot 90-something, which is very, very easy to do. So um, the next day, it was beautiful out, and I shot 84. I doubled and tripled the last two holes. And all Alan, you know, so again, I'm like, oh, what's the matter with my swing? And Alan looked at me, and he goes, you were not committed on any shot you hit. Yeah. And therefore, and we call it Cynthia. My, okay, look out, be careful. Oh, my God. You know, my fearful protect person came out. So it wasn't a golf swing, and if you're willing to look in the mirror and really see what your issues are, you can fix them. People don't want to look in the mirror, but yeah, all those people on the PGA and LPGA tour, if you're not willing to see your weaknesses, you might as well pack your bags and go home because they're going to be exposed on the golf course, right? So the next right, day, right, exactly, bad again. And again, I'm the grinding maniac and I played pretty bad on the front nine, and I was one under par in the last seven holes and shot 79 or 78 one of the two I and and then I passed the world because again the weather was terrible but it was all a mindset it wasn't a swing thing it you know so if you're not able to really see and, and I guess what I could say is if I didn't have Alan with me to say that I would have been working on my swing and I would have never really focused on what the issue was, was trust what you're doing until you know what you want to do and then commit to it. And if you miss it, miss it. And that's what he said, Cindy, you can hit the greatest shot in the world and it can bounce off this green and you're going to make a triple. And he's absolutely right. That's how hard this golf course is. So you've got nothing to lose, which was a great place for me to practice doing this. And I'm like, what are you protecting anyway? Let it rip. Let it rip. So, again, I think our listeners, if you are honest with yourself and willing to look in the mirror and see what your weaknesses are, then you can really, really improve.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, again, 100%. You know, I was reading something recently in, in um, uh, one of the online publications, I think it's golf.com, and they were talking about the two-second rule. And I, I don't the, the player that they were referring to uh, escapes in my mind at the moment. But basically, essentially, the story was was that this particular individual, this tour player, has a two-second rule. If they hit a bad shot, they're they've given themselves permission to get upset, whatever. And that doesn't mean they're whipping clubs or anything like that. But they'll they'll express or eject that emotion, that negative emotion, for two seconds. And then once that two seconds is over, it's done. And that's something too that, yeah, that's something that is a really great trip for amateurs out there because how many times, I mean, and even good players do this, Cindy, how many times have we seen players go out there, they've hit a, a bad shot or they've played a really bad hole or even a couple of holes. And they're thinking about that for the rest of the round. You know, they keep talking about it, you know, four or five holes down. Well, you remember that shot I hit back there and they get faced with a similar situation on another hole and right away they're replaying that loop. So I think that's a great tip as well. And that again goes to your current state of mind is, you know, get whatever negative emotion out of your system, uh, treat it like a mini cleanse, if you will, and get rid of it and then move on, um, you know, to what's next. So um, I think those are some good tips. And, and again, if you want more uh, again, we just sort of talked briefly on, on some of them, but if you want more information, uh, golf Psych is, is definitely a great place to, to investigate. So, uh, go to golfpsych.com and it's g o l f p s y c h dot com, and they've got all kinds of information there, uh, not only for consumers but also, um, more importantly, for uh, coaches and instructors like ourselves. Um, if you're interested in becoming certified, of course, you can get information on that uh, as well uh, with with Golf Psych. So, make sure you go and visit their website after the program. Um, Very interesting discussion, Cindy, and and a lot of great, uh, you know, points that you bring up. And, uh, you know, and again, somebody like yourself who's played uh, on multiple tours over the years, you've had your, you know, ups and downs, you've had some very good moments. And Alan, you know, really raised a very good point um, about your play at French Lick, because, you know, he obviously didn't notice a change in the way you played as far as your ball-striking ability – noticed in the way that you handled your emotions during from round to round to round and that was something that a lot of times we don't see ourselves and it takes an outside person that's where a caddy comes in very handy because they can they can see they see how you play week in week out and they know these tour caddies that have played with anybody for any length of time or have played out uh you know have have caddied out on tour for for many many years they know how to read their players and obviously Alan was able to read that in you uh and help you um put together a, a better round uh on the final round. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
1: You know
2: and, and I'm so, grateful. Thank and you, Alan you know <laughs> if, Yeah, if you've got a a fifteen year veteran of the PGA Tours played in five masters, the second purest ball striker Dave Powell's ever tested, maybe you ought to listen to him, right? Um so right. again, Sometimes it hurts too. You don't, you look, oh, that hurt, but it was the truth. So that's why I'm saying if you're really wanting to improve and you're willing to look in the mirror, there's no telling how
1: good you can get. Right, exactly. Great discussion, Cindy. Um, as always, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, as I said, uh, for those listening to the show, uh, afterwards, if you want to get more information about what we were talking about, you can go to golfpsych.com and check out their website. They've got a lot of great information there for um, developing that mental mastery. All right, we've got a very special guest joining us this morning, uh, Tara McKenna, and she is the um, director of the PGA Golf Management uh, Program at Florida Gulf Coast University. Uh, she's also a dual class, a member of both the PGA of America and the LPGA Teaching and Club Professional Division. Uh, an honor, which of course is held by fewer than 240 female professionals in the country. Uh, and I, again, as I mentioned, she's the director of the PJ golf program at uh, FGCU uh, since 2010. And she is the second director uh, at that university and the only female PJ member serving in this role nationally. So, Cindy, let's welcome uh, this morning our very special guest, Tara McKenna. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Cindy. How are you? I'm great. Meet Ted. Hi Ted. Good nice morning. Good morning
1: Tara. How are you? Well, I think thank I'm you. doing a little better because it's
0: going to be sunny and 80 here today. A little better than where you all are.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'm actually in Northwest Florida, and it's uh, rained a little bit this morning, but it's clearing up. So we're looking forward to a good day here as well. Not quite 80, I don't think, but uh, I'll <laughs> take what we can get. Um, Excellent. Cindy, why don't you go ahead if you want to start things off, and then I'll, I'll pick up.
2: So I want to know exactly what you do at Florida Gulf Coast University. Tell us, because you used to be the uh, head pro up in near Boston, and yes. we did an LPGA workshop up there with you, and I, I've always loved everything you do, but give us a little insight into this shift of states of what you went from being the head pro to the big boss at the school.
0: Well, I always say I've gone to the dark side. Um, I'm now joined Academia <laughs> which was a total culture shock when you come from standard industry. Um, I mean, if it, for for me to do what I do now, I mean, I, they, they can call me professor, which really seems odd, or they always say, Miss McKenna, still sounds odd. Uh, but essentially, there's 18 programs in the country that are PGA accredited. Uh, there's, they're all different public to private universities. They're all four-year programs. And our students when they enter they earn a four-year bachelor's degree and the degrees vary across the map uh, because of where the programs are located within that university they could be a business degree our degree is actually PGA golf management and when they get that bachelor's degree they get out and they uh, obtain employment and they get directly elected to PJ membership assuming they've completed all the requirements one of the unique things in our program is our students do 16 months of paid internship over multiple segments all over the country and they can now go internationally. So, and that bodes for all of our programs having 100% job placement. There's not many degrees at a university that can boast that. Uh, we're pretty darn close. There might be one or two that fall through the cracks that don't do what we ask of them or don't engage, but it's so, that's so not the norm. And um, what I do is I teach classes. I teach two classes a semester. So I'm creating classes. I'm creating assessments. I'm delivering class, I- you know, in in class for you know six six to seven hours a day. Uh, we do a lot of mentoring. There's you know it's a similar hat that a golf pro would wear. You know you are part counselor. You are part uh, instructor. You are part teacher. Where our students have to pass the PAT to get out. So. Um, and for those of you that don't know what the PAT, it's a 36-hole playing event that can be quite stressful to especially students who didn't play high school golf. And uh, I'm in charge of hiring and training faculty. We're in charge of the budget. I, I have a secretary. Go figure. I did, never had that as a golf pro. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, wait, I might have to delegate? Oh, no. Um, you know, and I, uh, I have a full-time internship director who serves as my assistant director. Uh, I'm involved on university committees, and I think I provide some somewhat of a different perspective because I I'm not a, I have not been 100% in academia. So I, I would say I kind of give a, geez, why are we doing it that way? Perspective sometimes when I'm on these university committees. Uh, we're engaged in research. Our my student, one of my my seniors, has used some of the. We have some pretty amazing technology here on campus. We have. You know, we have a, a body track which is a pressure mat. We have a K vest which is a biomechanical feedback wearable device. We have V1. We have two trackmen. We have a Sam putt which is TMI for putting. You know, a lot of professionals have a Sam putt or similar in their own studios where they work on their game in the off season. We have our students have access to all of this technology at their fingertips should they choose to engage. You know, there's always that choice there. They have to in class, but uh, there's plenty of students. You know, we have a full golf. Or we have a golf repair lab uh, and assessor, or assessing your own equipment, which to me is vital for any good player. And so we have all that stuff here at the university uh, in our in our educational space for our students to engage and use. So I mean, I wear I wear so many hats, just like a golf pro would do up north, but it's, they're just different. Wow. Does that do
1: it? Yeah, that's a lot of hats.
0: (laughs) It is a lot of hats. Um,
1: Let let me just ask you something, uh, just to follow up um, on that. You know, you you mentioned about a lot of the different technology and and things like that that's available. Um, Obviously, again, in the class uh, format, obviously, it's a requirement for them to understand and and utilize that. Um, Do a lot of the students really get engaged outside of, of the classroom environment uh, with some of the technology? How do they, uh, you know, how do they utilize that technology? And um, is it something that they really enjoy? Or um, is it really something that they're not really, you know, interested in as much?
0: You know, when they first get here, it's just like anything new. They're afraid to touch it. <laughs> but they, right. I think once, uh, you know, we'll do kind of, um, Introduction to Sam Putt. I just hired a new player development coordinator uh, who was a PGM graduate, and he's been a phenomenal addition to our staff and holds lots of certifications. So now the students are, he'll do 15 minute trackman introduction uh, just with your own golf swing. He'll do uh, a Sam putting analysis for a student. So they're really getting kind of that one on one. It's amazing, you know, with all the, the online delivery of education students still want the one-on-one it's amazing I I always tell I tell, I tell I meet with families and parents every day uh, with the technology and show them our lab space and uh, unless that facility has that technology outside you know and there are several there are more and more facilities especially in Southwest Florida that are building performance centers one of our students and our graduates, he runs the performance center, and one of our students essentially works there full time. And he's, you know, he's the golf shaft guru in my in my book. Like, I'm not worthy when he starts talking about shafts, and he knows every speck of every shaft and could just spit it out like it's secondhand to him. And uh, so he's really engaged. I don't have students necessarily on that level, but I'd say there's a lot of interest that is growing with um, the advent of club champion, uh, you know, putting up shops in lots of places, and one of our graduates is one of the business development leads for that business. So I think it's more and more uh, the technology on the television you see, the the track man, the top tracers of the world, that's really bringing all that technology to the consumer, and I think they want Mm -hmm. it in their lesson delivery on some level. I mean, not everyone's going to want it, but I think they like the information, and it certainly adds a tool to your toolbox as a teacher, and I, more and more students, as we survey them, want to get into instruction, which is really great to grow the game, obviously. And mm-hmm. the students, you, they might need a little push, but once they get the push, they're all in, and our, my lab's always filled with students looking, you know, tweaking their golf swing, playing with the numbers. Um, they don't come out certified in TrackMan, but they certainly could if they wanted to. But the the interest is definitely there, and some of them just enjoy enjoy playing virtual golf. You know, that's uh, you don't have to do right. in Southwest Florida, but they enjoy it.
1: Very interesting, um, Cindy. Go ahead.
2: So, I know the answer to this. Do you really like what you're doing? And what, personally, what is so different? What do you love about it? What do you miss? And give us the
0: scoop. Okay, so I love coming to work every day, and I'm working about the same amount of hours I would work as a head golf professional, but in a different way, meaning I have weekends off. What a concept. I have holidays off. I can take sick time, and I have vacation time. So so now, like, when I was up north, you know, and I'm working every holiday, every weekend, which, again, I never complained about. I, I love my job up north when I was a head golf professional, but now I can actually go up north and vacation and enjoy myself and enjoy New England and, uh, and spend five days on vacation and really just taking it all in versus like 24 hours here or eight hours here type of thing. Um, so what sometimes frustrates me in this job is sometimes they do things just because they've been doing it that way forever and have never evaluated why and I think that's in any organization, but we are constantly evolving, at least in my program. I, we call ourselves the happy space um, because we are. We we really, all of us has buy-in as to what we're doing. We're producing, hopefully, the best graduates in the country. We um, I do still engage with the community, but I kind of miss that weekly, you know, if I'm playing in pro-ams. Like, I can't play as much golf, even though I have weekends off. It's social golf, but tournament golf, you know, even on the LPJ level, the, the, the section championship is always like the first week of school. I can't miss that. The team championship is in December. That's the last week of, of the semester of the fall. So those type <laughs> of challenges frustrate me because I really want to go play, and I want to try and beat Cindy when I do go play, you know, which is always difficult. But, I mean, those are <laughs> the things that frustrate hard. me.
1: <laughs> What's that, Cindy? I
2: said it's not that hard to beat me.
0: Oh come on now! And I still can play. I mean, I always tell my students that if I can be, I can still beat half of you. You're in trouble. You need to work a little harder on your game. If you got a middle-aged, you know, woman kicking your butt. So, uh, and some of them say, "Can she even play?" Because they don't see me play. I love to play with my students. Oh, I just don't do it that often. I'm like, can she you? play? What's that?
2: I'll vouch for you?
0: <laughs> I can still play. I can still hit it. I'm, you know, I, I, hit, I hit it pretty far for a woman. So um, And I have have women in my program, which is great, because I always say my program is run by two chicks, so I get more women in my program, and I can say that as a female professional. But um, one of the things that I look back on in the industry, had I had the mentorship and leadership that I offer my students, male or female, if I had that guidance back in my 20s, when I was going through the PJ and the LPGA, if I had more of that from my industry peers and there were just weren't as many of us, you know, and we didn't, we didn't have cell phones, you know, all day long and all the social media that we have here. That's just so valuable to my students now coming, going through this program. I mean, who knows where I would, I would have ended up. I love where I've ended up and it's been a phenomenal transition for me, but i it's, I'm thankful that I'm able to provide that to the people that go through our program, and I use my networks, like the Cindy Millers of the world, um, all, especially in the LPGA all over the country, to really guide our students to kind of find the best path they can once once they're out of here.
1: That's great. That's a great. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. Um, let me ask you, uh, Tara. Just uh, another question here, um, talking about playing golf, if you will. Um, while you were earning your bachelor's degree in psychology from James Madison, uh, you were also playing Division One women's golf. Um, then you, in graduate school at uh, UNC Greensboro, you relaunched the Division I uh, women's golf team, while at the same time earning a master's degree in exercise and sports science, um, obviously focusing mainly in sports psychology. Um, first, I'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, the Division One golf for, for women, but I um, more importantly about relaunching that program uh, obviously you were integral in, in doing that tell us a little bit about the program
0: sure um, well UNCG which is for short for UNC Greensboro when I got out of uh, James Madison I was I was very fortunate to get a, a full scholarship to go to UNCG and it just so happens and this is how small you know how many few degrees of separation the industry is my advisor in graduate school was the one and only Debbie Cruz who was uh, been oh, prolific wow. in her research, right? And no. putting analysis and uh, out in, she's now out, out in Arizona. But, I mean, I was her lousy grad student, you know. I, was, uh, I look back, I'm like, I wasn't the best <laughs> grad student. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm much better for, and I worked at the farm with Ellen Griffin and uh, Mary Beth McGurr. But when I started that program, I was literally pulling students out of the hallways, so to speak, to join the women's golf team. And I didn't have the tools in my toolbox to be the best teacher, but I was better than what they had at the time. And we, and then they brought in Mary Beth McGur uh, when I was getting ready to leave, and we traveled together on the team. But I mean, that team, and what, what's really interesting is one of the gals that played that I pulled, literally pulled out of the hallways, is now an LPGA member, which I think is just so cool that she got mm-hmm. into the industry. And you know, she was shooting 110 or so and this is you know because it was a relaunch the tournament the program was dormant for 10 years before i got there they wanted, i think probably because of title nine they had us to launch a women's golf team and uh, we were just transitioning from i think d2 to d1 at the time so i'm ordering bags and doing all these things in uniforms and and traveling and uh, playing at uh, the golf courses where i played in college but we did you know we traveled and played some really cool places down in kiowa and um that was a challenge but I really enjoyed it because I still enjoy I enjoy mentoring I guess I should say and that's probably the best thing the best takeaway that I've gotten by transitioning into this program but um when I were doing D1 golf you know you don't you know you don't know what you don't know and I didn't know a whole lot and what I know what I've noticed now because I do present at college golf seminars now I present the PGM perspective but I listen to the coaches and I listen to this full time job that D one athletes women engage in between workouts and tryouts and qualifying and just playing and practicing. It is a full time job. When I played college golf it wasn't you didn't have that sense it was a full time job. And when I coached he didn't have the training aspect and the, the the physicality with a golf fitness perspective now that is so huge in our industry, we didn't have that. I wish we did have that. I probably would have played better golf because <laughs> I just noticed when right. I got out of playing college golf, my best round of golf was the, the day I enrolled in the PGA of America training program. I didn't play great. I wasn't not a great college golfer. Um, but the team at UNCG has evolved under, you know, full-time leadership now because I was a grad assistant at the time. It's really evolved to uh, a, a pretty good, pretty strong team in the, in their conference.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. Um, Cindy, go ahead.
2: So, how many people graduate through your program every year?
0: Well, we have about 150 students in our program, and I always say we have one and a half faculty members. You know, you can go to econ or finance or some other major here that might have. As many graduates and have eight full-time PhDs, so we're very lean and mean here. I say I, I was calling program we, and we have two adjuncts that deliver kind of a specialty knowledge base. So the graduate our students when they go through the program is four to four and a half years, because of the internship component. If I have a transfer coming in, they can normally get out in about four years, uh, but a true freshman is probably going to get out at four and a half. And because of, again, because of the internship component. And um, every year, if my students graduating, I might, like, for instance, my, and we have what's called a cohorted model. And I had no idea what, what a cohort was when I took this job. But my students, when they come through the door, they start as a freshman, right out of the gate. And from there, they take their very first PGM class, because PGA Golf Management is a mouthful. And they take one class a semester for the next four semesters and they're taking prior development to work on their game to pass that PGA playing ability test. And so I might graduate, you know, I have right now, I have a cohort of like 36 students. I'm going to graduate probably half of them in four years and the other half are going to probably graduate either in the fall. But some of them might be double majoring and they might graduate the following spring. So, it, you know, we don't produce, I think the misnomer in our industry is that we're producing hundreds of graduates a year and flooding the employment market, and that is just not the case uh, at all. And there's a mis, I think that there are uh, golf professionals in our industry that think that we do just that, and it, 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 the, the data shows the exact opposite. And um, right now, for opportunities right now in the golf industry, is huge. And, I, and I, I say this because of the data. When you look at our membership numbers, our true membership numbers from a you know a membership report, you're looking at we have like 20, just under just under 25,000 members, and over half of those members are seniors. So um, they're over 55. And when you do when you look at that, and you look at we're at, we're at like we at 8,000 facilities out of 17,000 facilities. 8,700 facilities that have a PJ member in some role. You look at that. Ten, five, five to eight years down the line, those folks that are 55 to 60 plus, and there's, I think there's over almost 4,000 members that are over that have 25 years in the industry. Our association is aging, which means for for my men and women that are graduating from my program, their ascent to management is going to be way more vertical and a lot quicker. Coming out, and and my students have a lot of a lot of, and for women especially. Now I have 12 women in my program, and believe it or not, that's on the high side percentage-wise. There's not a lot, and what's really interesting from a female perspective, we will field 100 to 200 calls and emails, if not more, every year saying, "Hey, do you have a female? Hey, do you have a female?" And really, oh yeah. As and I always tell involved. I always
2: I would love to uh
0: come down there in the winter and teach golf. Let
2: yeah, me know if you hear
0: anything. Okay, you got it. <laughs> I'll I'll we keep our eyes open all the time because I'm looking to always try to place women in the best opportunity, especially especially on internship. But when my women get out and graduate from my program, I always say they have that golden ticket, like on America's Got Talent. They can go anywhere they want. And they are actually interviewing their future supervisors and saying, what are you going to do for me? It's a different perspective. And that kind of empowerment is what I wish I had when I was getting into the business because I always wanted to be a head goth professional. My goal was not to teach, you know, for my full time, although I did that on many winters for 12 years, I did that, but I wanted, I wanted to run the show, you know, and now I'm running the show. So it's really not that much different. It's just, I'm doing it in a, different, in a different context, but, um, and Cindy knows me cause that's my personality. You know, I wanted to, yeah. I, I want to make an impact <laughs> and, and, and think I can do a good job. And if I'm not, please tell me I'm not, you know, and I'll change. So when my yeah, women you're get perfect out, person. yeah, well, thank you. Um, when our women get out, they can be so successful and we're going to really help steer their ship in the right direction, but they can go anywhere. And, um, I mean, I tell my, I tell my men the same thing. I'm like, don't get a big dog or a needy partner because you need to be mobile. You need to be able to go somewhere and, and make your mark. Don't be, don't be locked down by those two elements yet. Not yet, you know, cause they're graduating. I mean, I've had my, the range of students in my program, it really ranges. I've had a 22 year old and I've had a 57 year old retired Naval commander who used the GI bill. And that's becoming more and more common to go through our program i mean they call him grandpa but you know uh he's he's a great presence in the classroom and he's (laughs) i know he's he's great and he his last internship was essentially his full-time employment he doesn't he already had a bachelor's degree before he got here and he's already working in his full-time full-time job and he's in i would say of a non-traditional setting but he's loving what he's doing and uh his you graduate and he's already working full time somewhere in the mid Atlantic section, PGA, and loving it. Just loving life, you know, and he, he got out of his program what he came to do. And I think that's what we do awesome. really well.
1: Yeah. Tara, let me ask you just a final question and then we'll wrap up. Um you know you've you've been talking a little bit about this but do you think that the industry as a whole maybe needs to do a better job in explaining some of the employment opportunities particularly for women you know when they when they most people if you ask them on the street what they think of golf or what they know about golf they refer to the tours you know they they know that there's the LPGA and the PGA and and the different mm-hmm. divisions and that but um, they don't maybe understand or they, they know that there's a golf pro at, at the local course, but they don't really realize that there's a lot of other opportunities as well. Can you talk a little bit about that um, as we wrap up?
0: Yeah, sure thing. Um, I mean, the, the, more and more of my, of my graduates are looking to get into the non-traditional area of, of golf, but you're right. There's a lot of, uh, of non-knowledge out there on the part of the consumer about what we do. You know, when you say you're a PGA member or a golfer, oh, it must be great to play golf every day. Well, that's not that's not that's not right. true. I I play what I, right. I'm lucky. I play once a week, <laughs> and I still maintain my game. So I, my students have no excuse, right? So uh, the the opportunity to work in the golf industry, whether it's at the green grass, or traditional you know golf club of some nature, or some non-traditional jobs There, are there's so much out there where your golf skill your high level golf skill and knowledge wherewithal your your customer service orientation will be successful in a number of areas and um that's what that's what my internship director does that's what i do and for us to um, get the word out that there are opportunities by getting a golf management degree or a degree that Get your Class A, and I encourage our women to be dual and and get their LPJ because that's a whole other element that just adds to their professional value we we would we can do that in our in my role as a director and the other eighteen programs that are out there we all have that opportunity to touch the lives of you know so, some fifteen hundred students that come through our doors and to put them out on the market as PJ members, hopefully if maybe LPG members as well, but also college graduates so that there's so much out there that we, that we do that we work with I work with other departments here you know that help place these students in the roles they want and I think the um, your listeners there are you know grandparents of listeners the students who who love golf and want to make that that passion a career you can do that at one of our programs whether it's mine we have the best zip code obviously but you know there's 18 programs that do really that do a great <laughs> job out there <laughs> Um, that work to push out hopefully the best, most educated professionals in the industry to move the needle in our industry forward. That's what we really need to do.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And what a great point. And I, I think that it is important and I hope that um, both the, the PG of America and, and, and other areas in golf, the industry, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's great that we're focusing on the tours. It's nice to, to see all these different events, but there's so much more to golf, uh, than just the tours. And, you know, I, I really hope that they begin to do a better job of getting that information out, um, because it is a, a great uh, industry and there are so many, so many opportunities, um, obviously for men, but particularly for women as well that they probably don't realize are available. And I think going through a program such as yours, uh, is certainly a great start. Um, well, Tara, thank you very much for joining Sydney and I this morning. We, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed the conversation.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, honey. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk, we'll talk soon, Cindy. Have, have, have okay. a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.
1: All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, again, special thanks to our, our guest this morning, Tara McKenna, the uh, director of the uh, PGM program at Florida Gulf Coast University. Whoa. What a great, just a lot of enthusiasm and, and obviously a, a major change, Cindy, to her um you know, career if you will. I mean, once a head professional, now, you know, teaching the next generation of, of future golf professionals uh and, and business types as well. Uh what a great uh, a great job to sort of roll into.
2: Absolutely, and she's perfect for the job.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of enthusiasm and, and obviously she really, as she mentioned early on, she really enjoys um this phase of her career and and uh obviously it's a great fit and the uh, the folks down at the Florida Gulf Coast um, University are, are certainly reaping the benefits of, of her expertise and her experience. And, and just one last thing, and, you know, it's funny, you know, because both of you have mentioned this and you and I have talked about this before. Um, if you're wanting to play golf, getting into the golf profession is not necessarily the way to do it because, you know, as well as I do, Cindy, um, once you get busy you know uh, teaching and, and or whatever areas you don't always have as much time as you'd like to play golf so when people say oh yeah I'd love to be a golf professional and get to play golf all the time we know the truth is you don't get to play all the time as much as we would love to
2: absolutely
1: all right so you're heading off to your boot camp uh, next week Cindy we got another great guest uh, coming up uh, on the show so good luck with the boot camp we'll get a Uh, A bird's eye view, if you will, um, from that next week, and uh, we'll also have another great guest. And we want to just again thank everybody for joining us this morning uh, here on the Women of Golf show on behalf of Cindy Miller. I'm Ted Oderico. Thanks everybody. All right, have a good one, Cindy. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash Women of Golf, or on any of these social media platforms: iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Castbox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.